Hey there, it's Hedvig from Abundate. Do you ever feel like you're constantly battling against your multilingual brain at work? Maybe you struggle to find the right words in English, worry about your accent or your grammar, or you find yourself constantly overthinking your language use to avoid making a mistake. You're not alone. Did you know that this lack of confidence in your language skills can actually lower your working memory capacity? That means you might not be performing at your best if you're distracted by any language worries or uncertainty. But here's the thing, it's not your fault. We have been taught to approach language learning in a way that goes against the natural functioning of our multilingual brains. The good news is that there's a way to actually work with your brain instead of against it a way to develop effective communication strategies that go beyond just grammar and vocabulary, a way to gradually build your confidence and skills without dedicating hours every day, and most importantly, a way to bring your unique voice and personality to the conversation instead of kind of sounding like somebody else. Introducing the School of Certainty. Abundate's group coaching program designed specifically for professionals like you who use English as a foreign language at work. I understand your frustration because I've been there myself. And now I help professionals like you to confidently build and nurture relationships in English, bring out the best and most competent version of yourself and excel in your career. Don't let your language worries hold you back any longer. Join the School of Certainty and start your journey towards confident and effective communication. Visit abundate.org soc to get started. That's a-b-u-n-d-a-t-e dot o-r-g slash s-o-c. Learning a language is not what you think, but so much more. This is Abundate and I'm your host Hedvig Sandbu. Language is all around us. And in this episode, I'd like to flip the language learning conversation a little bit on its head. It's useful to be aware of not just foreign language, but native language as well. So for today's episode, I spoke with Friederike Zell, who is a fellow London-based linguist. Frida is a doctoral researcher in applied English linguistics and we are going to talk about international English, especially in the workplace, and how to include people with different levels of fluency, as well as how this can inform our own language learning. Before we jump in, I wanted to leave a short note on some of the terms we use in today's episode. For the sake of simplicity, we're going to be comparing quote-unquote native and quote-unquote non-native speakers. And sometimes this can be a useful distinction because you will hear how we tend to use language differently depending on our level in a certain language. Um, and what I would like to just point out is that like with a lot of things, this really is more of a spectrum than a binary. But for the purposes of this conversation, we are making that distinction. Can we start with maybe with just your... A little introduction of your experience with um, being a language learner. Yeah, of course. Um, so actually, 
I think for that, I should already say that it's quite different for the different languages that I speak um, in the sense that I learned English and French at school, which was a kind of a very uh, standard sort of learning experience, I think, that many people might be aware of, whether that's positively connotated or not so positively <laughs> connotated. For me, it was definitely something that I really enjoyed. Um, and then a bit later in life, so at uni, I studied a tiny bit of Spanish, which by now I've probably forgotten everything about. But so that was, again, a rather structured learning experience um and then I was in Chile for a month traveling and that was really interesting because um I was suddenly faced with reality and kind of the the things that you are and are not prepared for and in this <laughs> context for example that meant that um I was usually kind of able to say what I wanted to say but I didn't really understand what people were responding so that's something that mm -hmm. I hadn't necessarily expected um and so like the the last language that I kind of speak I guess is Dutch um where I had a completely unstructured learning experience actually because I did take a very short course at some point but that was basically just learning words and other than that I mostly learned it by being in the Netherlands so being surrounded by people speaking Dutch which I think yeah just means that you get a very different access to the language um mm -hmm. yeah in so what way um I think in the way that so at certainly at school and also at, at uni um the way I learned French English and Spanish was very you learn a lot of grammar a lot of it is about correctness maybe it's not necessarily about how can you politely ask for something but when you're in the country or at least in my case I feel I know a lot of Dutch words I understand really well but when I'm speaking and maybe we'll get into this um, a bit later when I'm speaking I can tell that my grammar is just not you know I make loads of grammatical mistakes so there yeah. there is a real at least in my case there is a real imbalance um, first of all with what I can understand versus my speaking and secondly my grammar versus my vocabulary and I think that's something that you probably don't normally end up with when you follow a more structured kind of instruction-based route at least not in in the kind of classroom at school or at university all right so at school or university like maybe the focus generally is a lot of grammar right mm -hmm. and quite a bit on vocabulary but mm -hmm. maybe less on just that uh, yeah. natural fluency yeah. and speaking. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I mean, um, I learned French formally um, mm -hmm. for a number of years. And, you know, my, I, I think even today, my understanding of French grammar is even probably better than my understanding of Norwegian grammar, which mm -hmm. I only learned, you know, briefly when I was... 14 or something in school um yeah um whereas uh for Italian which I'm learning at the moment and very informally and very in a very unstructured way actually mm -hmm. um 
uh, my Italian grammar is terrible. I have no idea what tenses I'm using. I'm just like throwing <laughs> something out there. <laughs> but and, you know uh, what? The, sorry. The, the one thing yeah. that I like about this, even if you are throwing things around, the truth is people will normally understand what you're saying. I mean, if you're yeah. saying, yesterday I go to the cinema, people still understand that yesterday you went to the cinema. It's yeah. fine that you're using the wrong grammar. So I guess it, yeah. it it probably boils down, whether whether that matters or not, probably boils down to the question of what are you trying to do with the language, right? Yeah. If you want to not come across as uh, an idiot, then sometimes uh, it helps to have some better grammar. But if you're literally just in the process of learning and you have, um, and uh, I spoke with um, one of my other guests, Elise Cutts, about this idea of, Um, being surrounded by the right people who will help you rather than mm -hmm. hinder your learning and mm -hmm. make you feel ashamed of mm -hmm. your mistakes and errors and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if you're actually um, in, a, in, a, in a place where you kind of learn in a safe way yeah. and in a yeah. way that actually builds you up and helps you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... Um, You do, you've done a lot of different research into um, multilingualism, international English and different things like that, mm -hmm. uh, including, and I know you, you mentioned in your bio as well, that um, you're talking about inclusive language. Um, you know, how do you kind of, how does an English speaker in an international organization, for example, make their language use inclusive for other workers who use it as a second language? Mm -hmm. um, so are you more asking how they do that or more kind of for techniques, how they can do that? Maybe we can start actually with with why, why is it important? Mm -hmm. what, is, what is inclusive language? Yeah. So, so first of all, perhaps I should say, um, when I use the term in, uh, international English, um, an alternative term that's often used is English as a lingua franca. So this would be English as spoken by people who don't share the same mother tongue. Um, so we are right now in a, in a lingua franca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Using English as a lingua franca. Um, and so the work that I've mostly done is, is, is usually focused on on some kind of business context. So in international, um, international organizations, for example, and an underlying insight is that, um, native and non-native speakers of English, if we want to call them that, um, sometimes use the language in different ways. So they might use the same term to refer to different things, or they might have different ways of interacting. Um, and this can lead to misunderstandings, for example, but it can also lead to a certain power hierarchy. Um, and I should probably say this is, this is not a blame game, um, But as you can probably already um, expect, the power hierarchy is such that that the native speakers would either consider themselves or would be considered in in some kind of higher hierarchical position because they grew up with the language. They don't 
supposedly, I'm making air quotes, supposedly make grammatical mistakes. They always know the right word. Um, and so you get this power imbalance, which also in the private context, but certainly in a professional context can be quite problematic because there is there is a lot of research out there on this, plenty of case studies, for example, that show that people, um, uh, even if they have high ranking positions in, in a company, for example, um, they might, because of this power imbalance that comes in via the language, might feel really undermined and th there can be real kind of status um, problems and really, well, discomfort and anxiety and all kinds of things can follow on from that um, um, power hierarchy. So that's one problem. Um, another, another point is that when you are working in a language that is not your first language, or where you might, you know, it might be a language that you speak reasonably well, but maybe not perfectly well. And that means that when you work in that language, you have to do quite a lot of extra work at times. So it can be something basic, like you have to look up words or say you are writing an important email and then you have to find someone who can proofread it for you because you feel you don't feel you want to send off that important email. Um, so that's why it can also involve quite some extra work for non-native speakers. And because of that, to answer your question, um, because of that, I feel it's quite important that we find ways of communicating in a way that is accessible for everyone, means that everyone can contribute equally and doesn't have to worry about some kind of, you know, about status differences that don't have a reason in your sort of your competence but are only based on your language ability hmm. so how um and I know you've done some work with companies previously when we're talking about this kind of hierarchy and um the some of the kind of extra challenges or the extra cognitive load if you will Mm -hmm. that um, speakers of English as a second language or as a third or a fourth <laughs> language, if you will, you know, um, if we're talking about that, then how do we help them? Or how do, how do, how can English, um, quote unquote, native speakers um, help to reduce that sort of sense of hierarchy and reduce that um, challenge uh, mm. for them? Um, so I think there are sort of different elements to this, uh, some that are quite specific things that you can do, I guess, um, that I'm going to talk about in a second. There's something else that I, I think can kind of help you understand the problem. I think an, a more abstract thing besides some kind of specific things that people can do, a more abstract thing that you can do, I guess, as a native speaker is, if you can, try and change perspective. So try to understand what it's like to be using a foreign language. So, um, and this is probably interesting for your listeners, best learn a foreign language yourself, because that's quite, it can be quite a humbling experience, right? Um, so that I think can help you uh, get a better feel for for what it's like to have to do that, to be in that position. 
Um, and then some some really quite specific things that that you can do, and this crucially depends a bit on who are you interacting with. International English, like I said earlier, is quite a broad term, and that means that it you might be talking to someone who has really quite rudimentary uh, knowledge of English, or someone who might be quite proficient already so obviously what I'm going to say now depends a little bit so one one tip that you can often hear and I think it's it's a good thing to do is quite simply to slow down and enunciate clearly like with if you slur your speech you're going to be harder to understand right um and another way that can be quite effective in trying to not um uphold this 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 power hierarchy i think is is to watch a bit kind of the the words that you use so there is a thing called phrasal verbs that you are surely familiar with um i don't know if your listeners are familiar with this so these are like verbs that consist of two parts so a verb and then some kind of small particle like something like um to run into or to call off or an example that i like is hang on versus hang up i mean whether you say that which one you say to someone on the phone is going to have quite a quite an impact and these things are really hard to it's really hard to to if if you don't know them it's really hard to figure out what they mean um so if as a non-native speaker you're in a setting where where there is lots of these elements that that make it hard for you so someone is speaking really fast um they're they're not pronouncing clearly they use words you don't understand maybe they use some idioms that that you're not familiar with that's some of the things that will make you feel excluded and mm. um there is one technique that i really really love um someone who I, who i know quite well he's a native speaker of english and he i think i kind of noticed at some point that he does that and i think it's a really good technique so that while you're talking you rephrase what you're saying so mm. I actually read an example of this in a, in a in a German book where I was like, oh, maybe I can I can use this. So the the sentence was basically something a bit like, we tend to generalize to transfer from one situation to another. You explain what you mean by generalize, but you've not done this kind of here. Let me tell you what the word uh, generalize means. But you've done it in a really subtle way that's that could also just be read as adding extra emphasis so it's really face-saving a really face-saving way if you're not sure um how how well you're being understood that's a really good way to kind of make sure that the other person doesn't feel left out and and yeah it, it mm. just shows that you're aware that you are using a word that the other person might not know and something one more thing that i think is quite important actually try to observe the other person how well how well are they understanding you and kind of preparing for this podcast i was trying to to define how do you do that i think it's quite hard to explain mm -hmm. but i realized i think that i tend to stare at people a little bit if i'm not sure if they <laughs> understand me which maybe isn't a great thing to do but just try to develop your antennas does the person look mm -hmm. confused um Because the, like I, I cringe whenever I see someone just rambling on and I'm looking at the other person. I'm like, they have no idea what you're saying. 
they are completely mm -hmm. lost. Do you not notice? Like I, I cringe when I see that kind of situation. So yeah. I think that's something else that can help showing your awareness and making sure you are kind of yeah. engaging the other person. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. It is difficult to define. It is sort of intangible, but mm -hmm. I think that's actually a very good point, this um, paying attention. And it almost sounds like, you know, I always come back to transferable skills when <laughs> I'm thinking about language learning or or even, you know, learning how to better communicate in English or in, in yeah. your first language as well. It's about, some of it is about empathy. It's about yeah. seeing how is the other person feeling, kind of gauging, are they, are they actually uh, listening and, and understanding Mm -hmm. and are they with me mm -hmm, <laughs> are we exactly. on the same page actually because yeah. in even in uh, a situation with people of all speaking the same language all having grown up in the same place you can still have a lot of miscommunication yes due to the fact that people aren't paying attention to whether the other people are hearing what they are saying yeah. in the same words yeah um but I'm kind of thinking now about because again, with transferable skills, with uh, being more conscious of, let's say, of your English and how it's being understood and how it's being um, received by someone else whose language, whose first language is not English, that would probably be a very good skill to have for when you're learning another language as well that kind of idea of rephrasing, building empathy. Mm -hmm. Because I'm thinking, if I don't know a word in French, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I try and think of a different way of saying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'd never thought about it in these terms, but maybe maybe this actually links up to, to what I said earlier. Well, if you want to do this then learn a foreign language yourself you know but 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 mm -hmm. maybe maybe it is just kind of the 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 other side of the same coin that you learn how to i i do think that you learn to use language a bit differently a bit sometimes more creatively which i also think is is important to bear in mind that it's not i think it's really really important to remember it's not about deficiency, right? It's 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 about kind of it's it's different, and and I can see how if you know how to do this with your mother tongue, it can help you learn a foreign language as well. Although I actually think that it's probably the other way around. I think it comes from <laughs> learning a foreign language that you learn better how to modify your first language. Although I should say. I'm not sure it's purely automatic. It, it. I noticed with myself that um, for quite a long time, I was better at adjusting my English to somebody who didn't speak English that well than my German. So, so one thing, for example, I found it really hard to learn to slow down in German. I still do, actually. I have to really focus and kind of really draw out the pauses and you know lengthen the sounds um so again maybe maybe that's also important to say that it it does it, it it takes practice you, you you could say it is kind of relearning 
your mother tongue in a slightly different way. So it's not, you know, it's something that you have to practice differently. Yeah, I know. When it comes to, I guess, that conscious effort that it takes mm -hmm. to put in. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but... Um... No, I was going to say, I, I think that is really maybe the crucial point. So maybe you don't even have to go anywhere with it because I think that is probably the main point. Understanding mm -hmm. that you need to invest a conscious effort. And I think that's exactly the bit that goes wrong when you see these interactions in inverted commas where one person is rambling and the other one isn't following. It's that the person who's speaking isn't aware and isn't putting a conscious effort into monitoring, into into adjusting their speech. So that's probably what's underlying it, really. Hmm. Yeah. I guess it, it takes energy and effort and a bit of um, attentiveness mm -hmm. to another person mm -hmm. in order to do that. Yeah. I hope for our listeners that, you know, the next time they're in a conversation or they're in a situation with maybe with a, a mix of speakers from different countries or um, mix of uh, English levels or that kind of thing to ask themselves a little bit that question is anyone in that group in that conversation not following mm -hmm. and how can they be mm -hmm. more included actually mm -hmm. in the in the conversation mm -hmm. And I think um, to to briefly go back to why does all of this matter? Again, I think especially in a in, in a professional context, it's obviously really quite high stakes, right? If you if you are feeling excluded, if you feel if you're feeling tongue tied, you have to be you have to contribute to you know to do your work. So if you feel you can't, that is a serious problem. And and something that I should maybe also mention um, to illustrate that this kind of issue can go both ways is that um, from from this research into English as a lingua franca, one very, very interesting finding is that on the one hand, obviously what can happen is that it is non-native speakers who end up being well, I'm going to say excluded sounds a bit extreme maybe, but who who end up, say, having problems or might not understand. So that kind of stuff definitely happens. But something really interesting that also happens is that if you have a group of lots of different um, speakers of other languages who interact with each other in English, and then there is maybe one or two native English speakers it often happens that actually the non-native speakers, regardless of their language backgrounds, understand each other really well. And it is the native speakers that end up being a bit lost or not understanding what is meant simply because the language that's used, that comes into being, that is a term that's often used as co-constructed. The meaning of mm. certain words can be co-constructed in a certain context, and it might change a bit, you know, it might change the next day. But if you assign a new meaning to a specific word in a specific instant, in a specific group of people, it's important that you have access to that meaning. And if you 
if you go in with your kind of with the meaning of that word in mind that you learned growing up, you might not understand what they're talking about. So, so this is very much something that I think needs to be kept in mind that it's not just kind of, it's not about saying the non-native speakers are the victims because that's not, I mean, they, they might in some case sometimes be like, sort of disadvantaged, but it's certainly not the case that this is the only problem. It is also often found that you get these other dynamics that it is the native English speakers who end up not understanding what's going on. And this is obviously also not something that's desirable, right? So I think that just illustrates that everyone has an interest in in making it work, really. Yeah. I wonder, and that, I mean, now I'm, uh, I'm going a bit off topic, but I wonder if, is this a language issue? Or is it a communication issue? <laughs> I wish I had an answer to that. I mean... Because the the reason that I, I say that is because... And I, I mean, I still... I think that maybe it's irrelevant whether we call it a language issue or a, a communication issue because they overlap so much. Mm-hmm. And I really think that through learning another language you can really learn so much about communication mm-hmm. more generally as well. Mm-hmm. First of all, because even within your own language, there are, we, you know, we, we can, we get confused. We misunderstand each other. We misinterpret what somebody has said. Um, especially when, you know, when you're talking about family relationships, close relationships and friendships, that's how arguments start yeah you know a lot of the time <laughs> yeah. is with yeah. language like somebody yeah. says a word and they say oh oh you oh you look interesting today and then yeah. you know what does that mean and <laughs> and everybody's got a different interpretation of that so yeah. I th- I really think that you know that language and communication um really go hand in hand and mm-hmm. my language is going to be different from your language is going to be different from even some, you know, my my siblings, for example, who've grown up in a similar English-Norwegian situation, mm-hmm. and yet all three of us speak differently, yeah. use different words, yeah. mean different things when we say the same word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying. I think siblings is an interesting thing. I definitely also sometimes when I'm speaking with my sister, we have we have very different ways of communicating. And now I'm saying communicating because that feels very natural, but I think it's... It's about using language. I think one 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 thought that just came to mind um, that's connected to this. I think often when people hear linguistics, they think about grammar, they think about parts of the word and kind of very sort of dry stuff that's often perceived as very boring. Hmm. I'm I'm sometimes in two minds, do I call myself a linguist or an applied linguist? Because the the type of research that we've spoken about is applied linguistics. I think it's useful to to think about, like to to basically broaden our idea of of language. What does it mean? Because language isn't just grammar and words and kind of how how do different parts of words make a word and then those make a sentence and maybe how do you pronounce them more what your sort of overall intonation is it's so much more than that right it's also about how do you how do I ask you to do something for me how do I apologize to you and this is actually so this 
this is kind of part of a, a field that's called pragmatics. And that's, okay, some people might argue with that, but but uh, to me, this is still part of linguistics. And then where is the mm. boundary? But I think it's it's useful to to think of this as language, maybe because it takes a bit... In some way, it takes a bit of the pressure away, I feel. Like, I feel if you talk about these things as a language issue, it's much more the idea of something that you maybe didn't know how to do, but you can learn it. I feel mm, like I feel yeah. communication is even wider still. And so that it becomes a bit fluffy. It becomes a bit hard to define, I feel. But if yeah. we if we agree that these things are a language thing, then we can at least, you know, that's how it feels to me. I feel we can approach this with a bit of a, a constructive attitude. You know, what what can we do? How can we make it work? And it maybe if something is going wrong it's not because the person is rude but because they have a different idea of what it means to apologize or to to ask for something i think that's why i probably tend to talk about these things as language issues rather than communication issues that's very interesting because i've always thought that language i mean I, i think i understand what you're saying that if you're talking about oh we we just need to speak the same language kind of rather than saying oh we're just not communicating Mm -hmm. right or we're not communicating (laughs) effectively Mm -hmm. but on the other hand I feel like language is still so um kind of emotional and um intertwined with identity and Mm -hmm. language in itself can be quite a sore subject and quite a intimate uh, subject for for especially for people like probably for like you and me who have uh, a sort of multifaceted languages and language identities and and different um, languages that we use Mm -hmm. um, in different contexts. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that means we're kind of more vulnerable when we talk about language rather than communication? Is that what you're what you're saying? Huh. Not necessarily more vulnerable, but just just as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Possibly. perhaps. Yeah, actually, I mean, what I said just now was very intuitive. I, I never thought about this. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It's just kind of the first thing that came to mind. It's possible that it doesn't really make sense. I'm not sure. I, actually, I'm, I'm really not sure. I think it's, it's an interesting question. Where do you draw the boundary be- between language use and, and communication? I mean, communication can be nonverbal, but let's just say sticking with verbal. I I, mm-hmm. I would find it hard. True. I find it and hard. What is body language? Yeah, that can yeah. be nonverbal. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you a couple of a couple of questions about language learning, and I know you you mentioned about learning Dutch, which has been kind of different from the how you learned the other languages uh, mm-hmm. that you've learned because it was less formal. Mm-hmm. You weren't learning, uh, you know, um, French and English and Spanish in school. Oh, sorry, you were learning French and mm-hmm. English and Spanish in school, but then with Dutch, that process looked uh, very different. Yeah. So what was that experience for you? Mixed in a way. I um, I really like Dutch. I really like 
using Dutch. Um, but I also, as I hinted at earlier, I I really struggle with the speaking. So I I so there is this term that you listeners might or might not be familiar with. That's called foreign language anxiety. So that's basically an anxiety that's specific to um, um, situations where you're using the foreign language. And I definitely experience this with speaking Dutch. Meaning that basically I'm most of the time I feel too, I tend to say I feel too shy because that sounds less dramatic than anxious. I feel, I usually feel too shy to speak and I've, I've recently, so I was in the Netherlands not long ago and you know, the, the thing is you, you can get so deep into this kind of, okay, I have to help overcome this. I really want to overcome this, but it's difficult. But that's some things that I recently um, tried doing is to try and kind of reframe the whole thing. So one thing that I've tried to do is to really focus on what am I proud of with my Dutch? And there are definitely things. So like I mentioned earlier, my grammar isn't that great, but actually I feel I can be really proud of the large receptive vocabulary I have. So of the, the large number of words that I can understand without ever having kind of studied word lists. Um, and some other thing that I can, when I speak Dutch, I can hear that I have a really strong German accent and I don't like it. But Again, I try to sort of reframe that whole thing. And instead of focusing on my accent, which is completely useless, is what I try to do is I try to really feel how much I enjoy speaking Dutch because I do. And, you know, this is not, you know, I've only recently started doing this and it's kind of work in progress. But I think it helps to not perpetuate these kind of negative, oh, my grammar is so bad. Oh, I have such a strong accent. But just try to, give it a positive, you know, give it a positive spin. Like I, mm -hmm. I enjoy doing this. So, so why not enjoy it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, um, I, I guess that's again, a lot about just a mindset shift, right? Mm -hmm. Which is tricky. Is it, yeah. you know, something you probably have to just work on a little bit every day and say like, yeah. oh no, I can do this. Oh no, yeah. this is actually fun. I just yeah. have to forget that it's scary and, yeah it's new yeah as someone who has is just in the process of launching a podcast uh is doing a lot of new things work-wise I know that I just have to kind of wake up in the morning and say I can do this yeah this is fun I got yeah. into this because I'm excited about it I don't know all the answers but I just have to yeah dive in anyway Exactly. And and maybe one other thing that I'm sure you, you know much more about, this idea of setting yourself specific goals. I think it's always useful to ask yourself when you're learning a foreign language, what what is it that you need to get out of that language? So in my case, actually, because I only I, I don't use Dutch in a professional, professional setting, it's pu purely private. So that's obviously also very kind of low stakes. But in general, I think it really makes sense to ask you, yourself that question, because the things that you don't need to achieve your goal, whatever it is, ignore those. I mean, if, if you're trying to knit a sock, it doesn't matter if you know how to knit a jumper. It's completely irrelevant. You're knitting a sock. So yeah. ignore the things that you would need to know to knit a jumper. And I think that's really also, it, it takes some work to become really conscious of what 
what you're trying to do with the language. But I think once you have done that, it can really help take those worries away and only focus on the things that you really need and not worry about the rest. That's wonderful. Yes, I think I think that's absolutely true. Um, just focusing on what you're a what you want to be able to do and mm -hmm. take the pressure off of everything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I have one one or two final questions for you. What is what in your opinion is an underrated way to learn a language? Oh, that's a good one. <sighs> underrated. Or I can ask you a diff in a different way. What is your favorite way to practice uh, your languages? Um, I think my favorite way is actually to... Okay, again, it, it depends a little bit on on, on your goal. So I, I do appreciate kind of the, the structured sort of... I guess especially the way I was learning Spanish at university, kind of very structured, a bit kind of um, um, sort of a slightly more academic intellectual approach. But actually the way I, I maybe enjoy more is really just using it. I love this kind of, I mean, this, this, I know that this sounds contradictory to what I said before, but I love this kind of, you're just speaking to someone and you know that your, your language skill is a bit basic, but you're opening up this whole world. It's, it's amazing. Like I actually, especially maybe when I'm talking to strangers in the Netherlands, I, I'm like, like it's mind blowing. I'm able to talk to these people in their language and I'm making mistakes, but it's like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's access to a whole new world. So I would really say talking to people. Mm -hmm. I think in my case, at least with Dutch, talking to strangers because I find that easier. And knowing that you can, like, it's, it, to me, it's still mind-blowing that you can make a connection to someone just by using a different language. I think that's amazing. So I think that would be my favorite way. <laughs> oh, that's, I'm so glad you shared that, actually, because, um, I mean, whether it's an underrated way to learn a language, I don't know. But it's definitely one that... Um, you know, depending on people's personality, but mm -hmm. um, it's definitely one that can feel really scary to some people, mm -hmm. but definitely talking to strangers can be a lot easier. Yeah. What piece of information or skill that you have through your, your work or your experience do you wish was more common knowledge? Um... I think actually something that we touched on earlier, namely, namely that language is not just about words and grammar and pronunciation, but that language is also quite a lot about how we use it. I think I wish that people um, were a little bit more aware that of these kind of there are lots of a lot of unwritten rules about how we use language. So. Um, Everybody knows this intuitively. The way you speak to your boss is different from how you speak to your best friend, is different from how you speak to a stranger. How you speak to older people is different from how you speak to younger people and so on and so forth. And then it also depends on what kind of situation you're in. And I think that um, understanding that we use diff language very differently depending on the context and then understanding that these things are different yet again 
in different languages. And I think here we're again touching on this kind of, is it language or is it communication? But the mm -hmm. fact that people also do those things differently in different languages and different cultures, I think that's something that I wish um, more people knew. Because I really think, you know, the way someone apologizes or the way someone asks for things, if they don't do that in the way that you expect them to do, you you will think they're rude. And that's, I think, it's important to understand it's not, well, it can be a positive personality thing or it can be that they're being rude, but it can also be that in their native language, they do it differently. And I think that's something that I think is really important to bear in mind. Wow. I don't know about you, but I've got so many questions and things to reflect on from that conversation. First of all, can you relate to what Frida said at the end there about how language is not just the grammar and sentence structure, but also it is in the way you ask for things and the pragmatics of how language is being used. If there's one thing I'd like you to reflect on after this episode, it's this. In what situations do you use a language as a lingua franca? So a lingua franca is a language that you have in common that's between speakers who actually speak different languages. So in what situations do you use a language as a lingua franca? And in these situations, are you the native speaker, quote unquote, native speaker? Or are you the less native or the non-native speaker in those situations? And what does that mean for how you might need to interact and what could you do to improve communication and make it more inclusive either for others or for yourself actually to include yourself better into these situations if you're interested in diving a little bit deeper into the topics that we discussed in this episode I've actually included quite a lot uh, more questions for you to consider and uh, some resources and you can find all of this on podcast.abundate.org slash five that's podcast.abundate.org slash the number five that's it everyone i hope that this episode gave you motivation inspiration and energy to take with you into your language learning practice to learn more about Abundate and the services that I offer, visit abundate.org slash podcast. That's A-B-U-N-D-A-T-E dot O-R-G slash podcast. The background music you're hearing is called Blanks by Poddington Bear and podcast graphics were designed by Sengflow Designs. Everything else was done by me, Hedvig Sandvu. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Hey, before you go, here's a quick reminder for you who uses English as a foreign language at work. Go check out the School of Certainty, specifically designed for the international professional to help build brain-friendly communication skills. So you can stop overthinking, did I say that right? What's the right word here? Should I put an S on the end there? Visit abundate.org soc for more information.